You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Romans is one of the most powerful books in the Bible. And while I certainly understand all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be adequately equipped for all good work, while I get that, there is a veracity that comes with the book of Romans. There is a long history for which people have been born again as the book of Romans has been preached. There are men such as Augustine of Hippo who was converted through the reading of the passages from this letter and thus began a period of the greatest importance for the church. And it's not too much to say that in later time, Martin Luther's spiritual experience was shaped by his coming to grips with what Paul says in his epistle. The Reformation as well may be regarded as the unleashing of new spiritual life as the result of a renewed understanding of the teaching of the book of Romans. Romans is considered in the spiritual landscape the Mount Everest of all the books of the Bible. There is my personal belief that between the book of John and the book of Romans, these are the two most impactful books in all of the Scriptures regarding sin, regarding salvation and righteousness. But now, since we have left John and find ourselves in Romans, I believe that Romans is the most important book in the Bible. Now I say that like I tell each one of my kids that they're my favorite. They all think they're my favorite because they are all my favorite. I love each one of them equally as important as the other. And thus, each book of the Bible as well are equally important as Romans is as well. Paul has a heart to preach the gospel in Rome. And that was because the Greek and Roman world were in Paul's day indeed hopeless. It was a place that was filled with distress and despair, and they needed something, and what they really needed was the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to the Greek, and afterwards also the Roman concept, at the moment of death there was no hope for the body nor the soul. Could you imagine living your life not knowing what will happen to you after you die, for which if I shall remind you, everyone will die unless Christ returns. That was the Roman world filled with paganism. You can see why the passion of a man that was compelled to preach the truth of the gospel to a lost and dying world who had no hope why he would desire to infiltrate the Roman Empire with the hope that is offered in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
as with all of the other epistles for which Paul has written to the church, his purpose in writing this letter was and has always been to proclaim the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, to preach and proclaim the gospel, uh, to teach sound doctrine and to edify and encourage the believers who would ultimately receive this letter, including us today. Because Paul himself was a Roman citizen, he had a unique passion for those in the assembly of believers there in Rome. And since he had not to this point in the writings visited the church in Rome, this letter also served as his introduction to them. And if I could suggest to you the subject of the book of Romans, a thesis statement, so to speak, if that's even possible when you're dealing with Romans, it would be that the book of Romans presents ultimately two main ideas. The sin of the world and the solution to the sin of the world. The, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the fallen and separated from God, and a clear understanding of the proclamation of the gospel. And so, while that is a small introduction and certainly inadequate, for such a giant theological book, I want us uh, to consider Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7 today. I've entitled the message again, Gospel Clarity, because I believe that that is what Paul is doing in setting the stage. Not only is it an introduction to who he is, but he is also setting the stage for the gospel to be considered in this chapter and those to come. And if Paul and all of those that follow the Lord Jesus Christ are going to fulfill the the commission for which we have ultimately all been called to, then it is of great importance for Paul to set the stage of gospel clarity. I want us to consider four areas for which we can begin having gospel clarity. Number one, I want you to notice the person. Secondly, I want you to notice the promise. Thirdly, I want you to notice the power. And lastly, I want you to notice the purpose. Let's consider first the person. The person that we'll be trying to investigate is none other than Paul himself. Paul says here in Romans 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Here's my problem. I could preach one hour on just this one verse. Easy. There's so much packed in in there that is rich, but, but we don't want to be in Romans for five years. Who is Paul? He begins the letter with his name. That's how they began letters back in the day, that you would open a letter today, you wouldn't read the letter until you got to the end and see who writes it. In that day and in that age, they were a little smarter than us. They started out with who the letter was from in the beginning. Because if you, like me, have received a letter in the mail and it's really long like Romans, I ain't reading it until I know who wrote it. And so Paul begins by letting us know that he is the author. Paul is who has written this. The story of Paul is really a story of redemption. 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. And a testimony that is, that is, that, that, that says and speaks to the reality that no one is beyond saving by the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that in my own life, I am reminded as I study this introductory chapter and about the life of Paul that no matter how bad my past has been, what I have done, whom I have hurt, the reality is that in Jesus Christ, through His redemption, we are all made new to those that place their faith in Christ. And my prayer is that if you are here today and you've never been born again, you've never trusted Christ, that, that you will at some point in our journey through this book. That you will, like Paul, allow God to convert you and change you into something new and useful for the glory of God. However, to gain a full measure of the man Paul that we know today, we have to observe the dark side of Paul, known formerly as Saul of Tarsus. Paul, if you were reminded, was a Jew. He says here in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being a zealous for God, just as you all are today. Saul thought of himself in his former life as a zealot for God. Notice that. Interesting. There are many people who think they are of God in our day. And they think they're rightly so considered Christians. But Paul thought himself to be a zealot for God. And he was a zealot for God. His problem was he didn't know the God of the Bible in a correct understanding. Saul was a Christian persecutor. Some like to call him a murderer. Have you ever murdered anyone? Saul was a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of his religion. Means he was very legalistic. And he understood the law well. He was there at the stoning of Stephen when Stephen was put to death. And we are told that he held the garments of those who did the stoning in Acts 7.58. It was in Acts 7 or Acts chapter 26 so many years ago. I memorized it in the New Living Translation. And so if you hear an intermingle of memorization versus what's on the PowerPoint, you know what's happening. Uh, I can't get it out of my head. It's in there. I, I love this chapter. It's one of my, it is the most favorite chapter in all of the Bible is Acts chapter 26 in which Paul gives his defense to King Agrippa. He said in his defense to King Agrippa, so then I thought myself, that I had to do many hostile things to the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Does that sound like a godly man? Does that sound like a zealot for God? That he would do many hostile things? He said, I used to do everything I could to oppose the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. He was authorized by the leading priest. 
He even had them cast into prison. And it says, I cast my vote against them when I was condemned to death. He said, not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priest, but also when they were being put to death, I cast that vote against them. And I punished them often in all of the synagogues. And he said, I tried to force them to curse Christ. The New American Standard says, I tried to get them to blaspheme God. Christ. And I love this, how the New American Standard puts it. Being furiously enraged at them. His, his godliness and his idea of, of serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob brought about a fury against those who followed this man, Jesus Christ. I kept pursuing them and even into foreign cities. They can't run from this man. Listen, Saul was a bad dude. But Saul was converted. Saul was saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Saul had become Paul. And that Paul became a slave to God. And we are told in verse 1a that Paul not only was a was a converted man, but he was a bondservant of Christ Jesus. In the Greek, we are told that Paul was a slave. The Greek word there is doulos. It would be a slave that willingly had submitted their life to the authority of their servant, their master. And in this position, Paul has submitted willingly his life to the Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an unusual comment for Christians to be called slaves throughout history of God. This was really a common expression in the Old Testament. It really draws our attention to, to, to Paul's Jewish heritage. Because many of the great figures of the past are quite often referred to as Yahweh's slaves. Particularly Moses and the prophets. And if you recall from Deuteronomy chapter 15 verses 13 to 17, when a slave's time had been up, he had the choice to leave and to become a free man. If they decided that they wanted to keep serving in that role of slave, they could forfeit their freedoms and commit their lives to serving this master over them. We also see it in Exodus chapter 21, verse 5. It says here, If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve you for six years, but on the seventh year he shall go out as a free man without payment. If he comes along, he shall go along. If he has a husband... And uh, uh, if he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughter, the wife and the children shall belong to the master. And he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, and I do not want to go out as a free man, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. There is a willingness with the idea of do loss. There would be a willingness for Paul to commit his life to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul has done. <clears throat> he is a slave willingly. 
Can I ask you today, have you committed your life, submitted your life to the Lord Jesus Christ like Paul? Committed and submitted as a servant to a master where you don't make your own decisions anymore, but that you are under the authority of your master, the Lord Jesus Christ? Permanently? Not when you feel like it? Not when the culture doesn't offend you? Or threaten you? Paul was a slave of God for the glory of God. And he was all about his purpose and work. Paul didn't get wrapped up in what Paul wanted. Paul didn't get wrapped up in Paul's dreams. Paul didn't get wrapped up in Paul's passion. No, Paul's passion became the Lord Jesus Christ's passion. Paul wanted to do whatever would please his master. And I can't help but be encouraged by that. To follow a man that was willing to give it up for Christ. Are we willing to do the same? Can we say the same even if it would cost you your title, your jobs, your friendships, your... How about your family? Paul was a slave to Christ and so must we be if we are to please our Master. For we are not our own, my friends. We have been bought with a price and an expense we could not afford in Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 came to mind when I read that. Oh, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And that what? You are not your own, for you have been Bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Listen, you are either a slave to sin or to Christ. You are either, Jesus is either your Lord or you are the Lord of your own life. Who are you a slave to today, my friends? Who's your master? Romans 6, John 8, we're told we were slaves to sin. And maybe there's some here today in the presence of this Word, and you are that man, that woman, who is still slaves to sin. Because you've never bowed the knee to Christ. He says here in Romans 6, 16, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either of sin resulting in death, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that through you, were, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. Who do you serve? Who's your master? In order to have gospel clarity, we must have sin clarity. We, we must understand who we are prior to Christ. You must understand that you are either forgiven of your sins or still living in your sins. You are either a slave to sin or righteousness, my friend. The Bible says all have sinned, that there is none righteous. 
You can walk through the Romans road to salvation and it always begins with sin. Why? Because if you're going to understand the goodness of the gospel, you have to understand the detriment of your soul. You have to understand that you are broken. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. And you are hopeless without Christ. Psalm 51.5 says you were born into iniquity. Every single one of us come into this world stained, separated, in enmity with God, as it says in Isaiah 59.2. So who's your master? Paul was a bondservant to Christ, but we also see that Paul was selected. He was a slave, but he was selected. Paul, a bondservant of Christ, called as an apostle. Remember, there are not apostles today. There was a criteria that had to be met if one was able to be considered an apostle. There were three, you could say, qualifications for the office of apostleship. Number one, an apostle had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Paul was that. Secondly, an apostle had to be directly appointed by Christ Jesus. Paul was that. And thirdly, an apostle had to be able to confirm his message, his mission and message with a miraculous signs and wonders. Paul was called, he was selected as an, as an apostle. Apostolos is the Greek word. Paul frequently calls himself an apostolos in Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians and 1 Timothy and Colossians and 2 Timothy and Titus and on and on and on. It simply means a messenger, one sent. Paul was on mission for God. And his purpose and his mission was the gospel to the Gentiles. It was the Jewish gospel for Gentiles. For which... Many of us in this room today and listening online are not Jews. We're Gentiles. So praise God that the gospel is for the Gentiles because we get the benefit from that. He had authority of God. He was sent by Christ directly. In Acts chapter 26, we see this unfold in his testimony again to King Agrippa as he's there on that road to Damascus and the Lord appears to him and he sees a light shining brighter than the sun and it says it shone down on him and his companions and he says, Who are you, sir? I asked. He said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But he says here in verse 16, But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, and to appoint you as a minister and a witness, not only to these things which you have seen, but also the things which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles. Love the New Living Translation. The Gentiles, like question mark. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, Paul, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they will receive forgiveness for their sins who are what? Set apart by faith. He was sent by the Lord Jesus Christ, selected as an apostle for a great work to be done. Paul is clear on the gospel call his purpose in proclaiming is as one who is sent. I wish I 
had the gospel clarity that Paul had many times. I wish that we could place his understanding and passion for the gospel in each one of our hearts. That we would be willing to do whatever it takes to be about his work. Some of you have dreams. Some of you have passions and wants. And it doesn't include Christ. It's never included Christ. It's all about what you can do to make the most money. What you can do to be in a good business environment. It's about what you want to do. Rather than understanding our call is to submit unto Christ as His servant, as His slave. It was some years back in my undergraduate degree at Columbia International University. I can't remember the professor. Jennifer may remember this, but we were given a booklet. And in that booklet, it asked me these three questions. Are you willing to go wherever, whenever, and for whatever the cost? And I signed my name to that book. And I meant it with all of my heart. Can you say the same? Can you say that you would be willing to go wherever, whenever, and whatever the cost? Because I promise you, there is nothing more worthy than the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worth it all. Paul was. He was willing. And he did. How about you? Paul was a slave. He was selected as an apostle. But we know that he was set apart for a specific purpose as well. The message of the gospel. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Notice that Paul was set apart for something that was not of himself. It wasn't the gospel of Paul. It was the gospel of God. And thus we have the clarity of what the gospel is and who better else to express what the gospel is with gospel clarity than Paul himself. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I believe a clear presentation of the gospel. He says, There and now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also receive, which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. That never happens, does it? Yes, we see it all the time. For I delivered to you, he says, Paul says, not me, for I delivered to you is what is first importance. What I also received. Who did you receive it from? Christ. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is what the Gospel is. The Gospel isn't some methodology into the kingdom of God. The Gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ that He was born of a virgin, that He lived a perfect and sinless life that you and I could never do was crucified, killed on a cross, buried in a tomb, and then three days later rose again from the dead to grant you forgiveness for your sin problem because of your brokenness from God, because you have sin, my friend. We all have sin. The justification by which you can be made right before God comes from your trust and faith in the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, 17, For I did not, God, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would be made void. No, we don't want to void the cross. We want to exalt the cross and what it was. This was the gospel of God, not the gospel of man, not the gospel of Paul, but of God. And Paul was a slave of God, selected by God, set apart to preach the gospel of God. And my friends, we like Paul, are we as well called to proclaim the same gospel? Proclaimed to the world with gospel clarity. Not your works, not your deeds. Don't be going out there and telling people that they can work their way to heaven. No, no, no. They must believe the gospel. There is but one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you want to get to heaven, my friends, Jesus is your answer. Now we've noticed the person. But secondly, I want you to notice the promise. Again, just like any promise, can it be fulfilled? Well, this isn't just any promise. This is a Promise of one whom cannot, because of his divine nature, divine character, break his promise. And therefore, Paul reminds us that this, that this is the gospel of God. It isn't something new. It was promised in the Old Testament. Now, I know when we think about the gospel, a lot of times we don't think about the Old Testament. But here we learn that Christ was revealed in the Old Testament. Romans 1, 2, and 3, which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning His Son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. This is gospel clarity here. And it is this message for which Paul is preaching. This gospel of God, which is promised from the Old Testament. Listen, the Old Testament reveals... Christ in every book of the Old Testament. Do you recall when Jesus had risen from the dead and He appears to those men on the road to Emmaus? They didn't know it was Christ. He had hid Himself from Him, but they were telling Him the story. But what did they do? They missed it. And so Christ says in verse 25 of Luke chapter 24, He said to them, O oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. What did they speak? They spoke of Christ. The New Testament is new, but it is not new news. It's old news. Christ has been revealed in the New Testament as He has been revealed in the Old Testament. Was it not necessary, verse 26, for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into His glory? And then what does it say in verse 27? Then beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets, He explained to them the things concerning who? Himself in all the Scriptures. Not, not just some, but all. I remember well Dr. Brogy preaching through the book of Romans as he walked through the Old Testament. Yes, in Genesis, Jesus is revealed as the seed of the woman. In Exodus, He is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, He is our atoning sacrifice. In Numbers, He is the smitten rock. In Deuteronomy, 
He is the prophet to come. In Joshua, he is the captain of the Lord. In Numbers, he is the deliverer of his people. In Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer. In Samuel 1, he is the anointed one. In 2 Samuel, he is the king and the throne. In 1 Kings, he is the glory of the Lord filling the temple. And in 2 Kings, he is the royal seed. And in 1 Chronicles, he is the glorious king. And in 2 Chronicles, he is the Lord that appears to Solomon. In Ezra, he is the Lord of our fathers. In Nehemiah, He is the restorer of Israel. In Esther, He is an advocate who pleads for His people. In Job, He is my Redeemer who lives, who will stand upon the earth. In Psalms, He is the Good Shepherd. In Proverbs, He is the embodiment of wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, He is the King that unlocks the significance of life. In the Song of Solomon, He is the Heavenly Bridegroom. In Isaiah, He is Emmanuel, God with us, the Suffering Servant, the Virgin Birth born. And in Jeremiah, he is the divine potter who molds and makes life. In Lamentation, he is the broken-hearted Jehovah who weeps over his people. He in, Ecclesi- and in Ezekiel, he is the glory of God. And in Daniel, he is the stone cut out of the mountains that will smite the nations of the world. In Hosea, he is the child called out of Egypt. And in Joel, he is the Lord who roars over Zion. In Amos, he is the judge of the nation. In Obadiah, he is the Lord and coming king in Jonah. He is the messenger to the Gentiles. In Micah, he is Bethlehem's baby who will rule over Israel. In Nahum, he is the stronghold in the day of trouble. In Habakkuk, he is the Lord in the holy temple. In Zephaniah, he is the king of Israel. In Haggai, he is the Lord of hosts. In Zechariah, he is the Lord coming into Jerusalem on a donkey that will put his feet on the mouth of olives and split it in two. And in Micah, Malachi, he is the coming messenger, the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. God has spoken not only in the New Testament of his son Christ, he has revealed himself in the Old Testament in every book of the Bible. The gospel is from old, my friends. Our hope is in the promise of God fulfilled in the New Testament. It was promised beforehand through his prophets in Holy Scripture concerning his son who was born of the descendant of David according to the flesh. To make sure there's no confusion, he points out that Christ is indeed the Messiah because he was born in the line of David. We see here the idea of his humanity, born of a virgin through the line of David. But if you remember, when the people were worshiping Christ, which proves his deity in Matthew 21, what were they saying? The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting what? Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In the Old Testament, there is in that promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16, Your house, your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Listen, only through the eternality of Christ, His divine nature, can a throne endure forever. Because He is God in flesh, He is indeed the Alpha and the Omega. He is indeed the beginning and the end. And what we see in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 16 is it gives us a clear genealogy of Jesus. And in Luke 3, 23 to 38, we have been given a clear genealogy of Jesus. Luke, 
His genealogy begins with Mary's line and Matthew from the line of Joseph, all revealing that Jesus is indeed from the line of David. It's all spoken of in the Old Testament and revealed in the New. He has redeemed. He has saved. And He has spoken of in the Old Testament and has indeed revealed Christ the Messiah. I love Chuck Swindoll and his commentary on Romans and states that just in the book of Romans alone, the Old Testament is quoted 76 times. Paul quotes in Romans, the Old Testament, 76 times. 52 direct quotes, uh, 15 um, or 10 paraphrased quotes, and 15 clear allusions to Christ in the Old Testament. The Old Testament speaks of Christ, my friends. The gospel of God was revealed from the Old Testament, thus giving us gospel clarity for which Paul was to preach and teach that which was foretold and for that which we likewise not only should submit to the teachings, but submit to for our salvation. Because it was a promise from beforehand of God concerning His Son and salvation And in no other name apart from Christ can you be saved. I want you to notice the person. Yes, Paul changed, converted, saved. I want you to know the promise that it was of Christ of old, revealed in the new. But I want you to notice thirdly, the power. Notice the power. Paul continues that Jesus was indeed promised from the old, born of David according to the flesh, and who, verse 4, was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. If you want to see true, divine ability, then watch Jesus in the fullness of His death, burial, the, 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 to watch His coming to life through the resurrection from the dead. We're talking dead. Jesus was dead on the cross, buried for three days in pretty hot climate. Yet He rises to life. He rises to life. There is a sense in which Jesus was the Son of God in His flesh and weakness before the resurrection but the Son of God in power thereafter. You say, Pastor, that doesn't just sound right. That sounds almost heretical to say that the Son of God has weakness. He's fully divine. Yes, but do not try to remove Christ from His humanity. But do not forget to capitalize His name. He is fully God and He is fully man. He is the God-man. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 13 says, For indeed He was crucified because of weakness, yet He lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in Him, yet we live with Him because of the power of God directed toward you. Remember, Christ came as a what? A servant. The Jewish people expected the Messiah to come on a on a white horse as a conquering king, and he came in as a servant on a donkey. Paul was a slave, servant. Jesus was God in flesh and revealed that truth through the power of the resurrection 
of Christ from the dead. He didn't become the Son of God because of His resurrection. My friend, He eternally existed. It rather simply revealed to all who it was He had already claimed to be. His resurrection, my friend, concluded. It sealed the deal. It proved that He was indeed God the Son. The main topic of gospel clarity is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Oh, you can have a faithful man. Die on a cross, be buried in the tomb, but unless he raises from the dead, he is just a nutcase. But Jesus rises from the dead. And his humanity and deity revealed. There are two verbs there that we see in these passages, born and declared. Born in human nature and declared in his divine nature. What will you do with him who lives? What will your life How will it be changed and affected by Christ? All of this had taken place in an interesting Trinitarian fashion. Here we have God the Father in verse 2 who had promised beforehand in the Old Testament God the Son. We have God the Son reveal Himself in verse 4 in the power of the resurrection from the dead, but according in verse 4 as well, according to the Holy Spirit. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit presented in the introduction to the book of Romans. Oh, the clarity of the gospel. All three persons working in detail to accomplish gospel clarity. Listen, I can preach the Word of God. I I can put all of my being into it. But without the wooing and the working and the drawing of the Holy Spirit, your life until the Father, you will die in your trespasses and sins. The resurrection revealed, though, who Christ was according to the Holy Spirit of holiness. It's just an Old Testament methodology of saying the same thing, God the Holy Spirit. What's your response? You say you know Christ. Amen. Praise God. But do you share Christ? Do you share Him? Do you invite your friends and families to church? Are you intentional about taking these visitation visitor cards that sit in this exit door every week, week after week, that doesn't seem to dwindle down, which tells me they're not being taken, they're not being handed out inviting people to church. We ought to all at least invite five people to church a week. They may not come, but at least we can do our due diligence and rely on the Lord Jesus Christ to bring the people in. Do you invite? Are you intentional? Do you give people hope in the gospel? Or some motivational self-help garbage? Listen, if it isn't rooted and wrapped in the living Word of God, don't waste their time. And don't even waste your time. Give them the living Word of God. Give them the Gospel. Challenge them in their understanding of what the Gospel is. When somebody says they're Christian, don't just buy it. Test them. We're to test every spirit. Why? Because if they aren't truly believers and they have a perverted Gospel, then they will die and go to hell. And so why not just ask them a few probing questions? Oh, that's great. You're a believer, but... Tell me about your faith. How did you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? I would love to hear it. And they may say, well, you know, I've been a a Christian my whole life. 
If you hear somebody say that, that ought to throw up like red flags. Like, you ain't been a Christian your whole life. That's false. No, you were dead in your trespasses and sin when you were born. So obviously you haven't been a Christian your whole life. You might have been a Christian since you remember, but tell me about it a little bit. We need to make sure that we are faithful. That we are probing people in gospel clarity. You can offer the world anything you choose, my friends. But Romans 8 11 reminds us if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And if he is in you, he will come out. And if it's the Holy Spirit that lives in you, then like Saul, you are no longer Saul. You are Paul and on mission with a message and it is gospel clarity. And it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that you go forth and preach that message, my friend. We see the person, the promise, the power, but let us, fourthly, I want you to notice the purpose. All this brings about a purpose. Our purpose for the glory of God. If there is going to be gospel clarity and faithfulness in proclaiming that, then we need to be on purpose, and it is Christ. And here's my thing. Listen to me very clear, because... Here's my concern for our future generations. I see young people. I see young men, young women who have no discernment, no understanding of the things of God. You have no passion for the things of God. And yet you would say you were saved. That should scare you. Because it's one thing to say, oh, I've trusted Christ. I walked the aisle. I said that prayer with that preacher. But know this, my friend, if you've had an encounter with Almighty God, I don't care if you're six years old. I remember Annabelle sticking her head out of the window when she was probably six years old and asking God next door in the car, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? And you're going to tell me there's some 17, 18, 19-year-old men who don't care about the things of God, who don't talk about the things of God, who don't know what justification is, who don't know what sanctification is, who don't know what regeneration is, and you have Christ in you, my friends, you are deluded. You may be saved, but you're immature. And you need to understand the things of God and have a passion for the things of God because God sent His Son not so you could just flounder in your life and be great at video games and be in the top 500 in the world. Who cares? When you go before God, He's not going to ask you what game did you master. What's your favorite football team, Stuart? He doesn't care who wins the Super Bowl. What he cares about is lost people being saved into eternal life. I'm so encouraged when young people do. Bud's been sharing his faith with Jehovah's Witnesses. It's great to see. We, we talk about it. We encounter it. It's wonderful. You have to ask yourself the question, am I being faithful? Am I excited about the things of God? So much so that I'm willing to wake up and crack my Bible and actually read it. Put down the cell phones. I know it's hard to do. It's our culture. I get it. But put it down. Open the Word of God. And then let the Spirit of God, if He indwells you, to teach you the things of God. 
So that when someone comes to you, you'll be able to give an account for the hope that is within you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for what it is the power unto salvation. The Jew first and also the Gentile. You have a purpose, my friends. We have received, it says in verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake. It was through Jesus Christ that you, my friend, were given grace to be saved, to be born again, to be converted, to be changed. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. But we got it. (laughs) What we deserve is the pure flaming wrath and justice of God every day. But we got grace. And we were given a calling. And that calling is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of us need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to our children. Don't even worry about the world first. Worry about your own children. That's your ministry. And when you do that and they come and they are born again, listen, it will bring obedience of faith. This gospel, listen, will change you. It will change you. There is, no, there's, uh, there is not limit to this gospel. It is, it is for the Jew. It is for the Gentile. It is for the world. This word here, Gentile, in the Greek, when it says, through whom you've received grace and apostleship, bring about obedience and faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake. The, 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 Hebrew, the Greek word for, for Gentiles, ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnicity. It, it means nation. You, you can say in all of the world, it simply means those who do not belong to groups professing faith in the God of Israel. Are there opportunities and plenty of those that exist? Yes. Every day of our lives, we see, we see people, we speak to people face to face. This gospel has called you and me to go into all the world. While we're not apostles anymore with a capital A, in a more general sense, you are all apostles in the fact that you were called to go, to proclaim the gospel into all the world, to all who... I, we're saved, considered the sent ones. They're called set apart, like Paul, to give the gospel to the world. My friends, you have been given the gift of grace and to be faithful in going forth in the message, but it also faithful obedience. You will be a new creation in Christ. Now, I think it's important to note that you won't be the man and, or woman that you want to be yet. But you will not be the same man or the same woman that you once were when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit coming to take up residence in you at salvation. Every believer will, yes, experience sanctification. You will be justified. You will be declared right before God. He who knew no sin became sin on your behalf that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. When God sees you, He sees you as holy and righteous and perfect. That is positional sanctification. You are positionally right before God. But then there is that progressive sanctification in which you will progressively grow more and more into the image of Christ. 
Yes, in Christ we experience justification, but the change, my friend, is proof that this took place and the obedience in your life to Christ and the things of God is evidence that you have been born again by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not evidence that you can get away with as much as you can. True freedom is not the freedom to do what you want. It's the freedom to do what you know you ought to do in Christ. So while we're not a capital A apostles, we are called sent. And that obedience that reveals what Paul says here that you are not only saved, but in verse 6, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. Yes, God called you, and you responded to that call, and you were saved, not by your deeds, not by your efforts, but only because you responded to that wooing and drawing of God, the Holy Spirit, unto salvation. You responded to that. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul explains to Timothy that it was God who called you. It was God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, we worship an eternal God who knows the beginning and He knows the end. The names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's nothing we can do about that. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Now the question is, my friends, when He calls you, will you respond or will you reject? Don't tell me that there's this irresistible grace that you can't reject. Acts 7.51 says you are like your forefathers, always resisting the Holy Spirit. My encouragement to you today is this. Don't resist the call of God on your life. Respond to the gospel that has been given to you clearly that you might be saved, that you might be believe the gospel, that you might be redeemed and set free from sin, my friends. That's our hope. That's our desire. You were called. Therefore, we have been encouraged because we have responded to walk worthy in the manner for which you have been called. We were called of Christ, saved by grace, through faith in Christ alone. And thus Paul presents to those who are receiving this letter to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Listen, saints, this Greek word is one that I, the very, one of the very first words that I had to memorize in Greek in my seminary years. <coughs> and it's the Greek word hagios. It simply means holy. Holy one. You are holy. Let me tell you something, my friends. In order for you to die, you don't have to be holy. You will die. But in order to get to heaven, when you die, you must be perfect. You say, how is that possible? How can it be perfect? You just told me all of sin, there's none righteous, no, not one. Because when he died, he died and he took your sin upon him as if he committed your sin. It's the doctrine of imputation. He takes your sin and he imputes to you his righteousness so that when God sees you, he sees you holy. 
He sees you as hagios. He sees you as saints. But you must believe the gospel. He makes you holy before God, and thus we can call one another saints, receive the grace and the peace of God because you are saved. And so this makes a great conclusion. As Paul, in his salutation in Romans 1, 7b, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the truth. There are saints and there are ain'ts. There are saved and there are lost. And the only way for you to be called a saint set apart is to be justified, declared right before God by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have a choice to make today. You have a commission for those who are in Christ to preach the gospel, to go into the world and be as Paul, one called, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul was a changed man. He had an encounter with God and he was instructed by God about the gospel of God to be on mission for God with only one main intention, obedience of faith to the gospel. To be on mission for the Lord. The changed man had a mission and that mission of Paul's should be the mission of all the good news promised from old to be proclaimed in the power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, to all nations for the glory of God. It begins with being honest about who you are serving. Do you have gospel clarity? Then go share it. Go proclaim it for the glory of God. Let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.